Please be advised. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of violence, mutilation, murder, sexual assault, sexual abuse, and language that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, my little donuts? How are you today? This is Friday. I'm your girl, Gina. Today is Friday. You know what it is. I sit down with you every Friday and tell you a true crime story. So let's get started. So November 1957, police walked into a local hardware store and found it locked. So now once they, got, once they gained entry to the store, they found a large pool of blood. They also found a receipt on the counter with a name written on it. So they went to question the person whose name was written on the receipt, Ed Gein. Ed Gein was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield or the the Plainfield Ghoul, was an American murderer and body snatcher. But before I get too far ahead of myself, let's start from the beginning. Edward Theodore Gein was born August 27, 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's the youngest of two boys of George and Augusta Gein. His mother is named Augusta, and she was very religious. She preached to her boys every day about the evils of the world and drinking and all women except her was evil and instruments of the devil. Every afternoon, she would sit down with the boys and read them verses from the Old Testament and the book of Revelations. Augusta, she hated her husband, George. He was an abusive alcoholic. He barely was able to keep a job. One week, he would be a carpenter. The next week, he would be a sales, uh, insurance salesman. However, he was able to buy and move the family from La Crosse, Wisconsin to Plainsville, Wisconsin on a 200-acre farm. He also was able to purchase the local grocery store, but when Augusta saw him slacking off even in his grocery store, she went in, she demoted his ass to stock boy and took over the store and ran it herself. Augusta used the 200-acre farm. She used that isolation to her advantage by turning away everyone who could influence her sons. The boys wasn't able to meet anyone, so all they did was go to school and work on the farm. While in school, Ed was extremely shy. Teachers and classmates said that he would laugh randomly as if he had an inside joke with himself. The kids would make fun of his eye because when Ed was 12 years old, Ed was taking a bath. Augusta walked in while he was discovering his 12-year-old body. But instead of Augusta walking back out and saying nothing, she reached into the 
water, grabbed his testicles, and started squeezing and scolding him about what she called the curse of man. But she would help him and his brother with masturbation, saying even the sins of owning is preferable to the touch of a woman. You would think that he had his father to run to. Nope, his father wasn't no better. His father would beat him so badly that his ears would ring for days following before they cleared up. On April 1st, 1940, George died of heart failure caused by alcoholism at age 66 years old. So after he died, Ed and Henry would work odd jobs to pay for living expenses, including babysitting. He was a good babysitter, and he enjoyed it. With children, he was able to be comfortable, and he was able to really be himself, and he wasn't looked at as being a weirdo. March 16, 1944, Ed and Henry was talking. Henry happened to mention how close Ed was to their mother. He said that they were too close. He didn't like that because he loved his mother. He worshipped his mother. She couldn't do no wrong. So when they started doing their chores, which was burning vegetation on the property, the fire got out of control, and they both started running. They happened to get split up. And Ed said he could not find his brother. So he ran into town and told everybody what happened, and they got a search party together. So with the search party, Ed decided to just lead them straight to the body. And Henry, when they found Henry, he was face down. Somebody happened to ask Ed, how was you able to find the body so quick? Ed just shrugged and said, funny how that works. Henry had been dead for some time. It looked like it could have been heart failure because he wasn't burned or injured or anything. But later reports says, says that Henry had bruises to his head. So two weeks after Henry died, Augusta suffered a stroke. Ed lost his shit, but she was fine. He took care of her. He waited on her hand and foot, but her ungrateful ass was still talking about him and just dogging him, just dragging him through the mud. She recovered and was able to go back to the farm fine. So now, one day, Ed had to drive Augusta to their neighbor's house to, to purchase some straw for the livestock. They walked in on a girl begging her living boyfriend to stop beating a puppy to death. Instead of Augusta being concerned about the evil act of harming this innocent life, this bitch, she was more worried about the girl and the boy living together out of wedlock. So much so, a week later, Augusta suffered her second stroke and died at age 67 years old. Although Henry and George they both got heartfelt obituaries in the paper. Augusta only got these words. Quote, the local busybody is finally out of everyone's hair. 
end quote. No one attended her funeral, only Ed, and he spoke at the funeral and he said, she was too good for all of this suffering. After Augusta died, he started claiming that he was hearing her voice before he went to bed. And he said that he started hallucinating, seeing things like faces and piles of leaves. And it was a tree covered in vultures, like just covered in them. And those vultures were dripping with blood. He said he, see, he saw that. He also started feeling the need to see a woman's body. He didn't want to have sex with her because he still believed what his mom would say about how they're dirty and evil, but he just wanted to see it. He was curious about seeing all of this. But Ed had no idea how to begin to talk to a woman because his mother told him that how sinful and dirty women are, and he had no idea how to start up a conversation with them. He felt that he was all alone in this world, so he started visiting his mother's grave on the regular basis. He would go there and try to will her back to life, try to love her back to life. It's clear that he was really losing grip on reality. But he decided to do something a little bit better in Ed's mind, and that was take mom home. So although there are rumors that he dug up his mom's grave, Augusta was cased in concrete, so he was unable to do it undetected. Instead of disturbing his mom's grave, he decided to do the next best thing. He noticed that there was a grave just next to his mom. That grave belonged to Eleanor Adams. Eleanor Adams, she was 51 years old. She had just died, and he just knew her around town. She reminded him of Augusta. So he dug her up, and he went home. Ed was like, okay, this, this, this is cool. I guess it's calming down his demons for the most part. So he started checking the obituary for the next middle-aged woman. He wanted to bring he wanted to dig up and bring home. He found the next person, Mabel Everson. Mabel was a woman around town that he knew and she had just died recently. If he dug Mabel up a day after her funeral, but later he went back to return some things. What did he return? He didn't return the body. But he did return things that was in the grave, things like her jawbone, things like part of her skull, a piece of her clothing, a piece of her leg, her wedding band, and left his crowbar in there. He filled up the grave and went back home. At this time, Ed just decided, like, all right, I'm not taking, this is just too hard. I'm going to start just taking what I need from these graves. Okay, so for instance, if he needed a head, he would dig up the grave, crack open the casket, and he would grab the head and he would bend it back and forth and twist it and bend it back and forth until he felt the spinal cord snap. And then he would rip it off. He would also open the casket, flip the body over, 
and cut strips off of the back before leaving the grave, filling up the grave and leaving it. He called that the apple pie order. There was another grave that was Ed's victim. Reminded him also of Augusta. She ran the Pine Grove Tavern at one time before moving to Plainsville and running the local tavern. Her name is Mary Hogan. So by this time, Mary Hogan had been missing for three years, ever since 1954. When people would talk about how Mary ran off because the town just thought she ran off, it wasn't no they couldn't find no evidence that anything happened. So the town just thought that she ran off. Ed would say, when they were talking about her about around Ed, Ed would say that Mary is at his home right now. She didn't run off. She's at my house right now. She's not missing. He would say things like that. But people thought that Ed was joking. That was part of his sick humor. And they never questioned it. But what really happened to Mary? was on December 8, 1954, Mary was closing up the tavern. Ed was there. She was cool with Ed. They were talking, just chopping it up as she doing her little shutdown routine. She decided to sit down and have a drink with Ed. So she was behind the bar still, so Ed was sitting at the bar. So when she decided to, t- to pour herself a drink, She turned her back to Ed, and she was getting ready to grab herself a bottle to pour herself a drink, you know. While her back was turned, Ed pulled out his thirty-two caliber and shot Mary in the back of the head, loaded her up in the truck, and took her home, just like he said. Now we're going back to where we began, the hardware store. November 16, 1957. Ed woke up that day realizing that it was deer deer hunting season and he needed some antifreeze. He saw that the warehouse was having a sale on antifreeze. So he went to the local hardware that was being ran by Bernice Warden. The town was pretty much empty. Everybody was gone. So he knew that Bernice would be there by by herself. So he tried flirting with Bernice in the past and she just, you know, inviting her to go skating and she just kindly declined. It was just like, no, I'm not interested, whatever. But he just couldn't take no for an answer. So the day he went for antifreeze, Bernice wrote his name on a receipt and sat it on the counter. Ed asked Bernice if he can inspect the Marlin rifle she had hanging on the wall on display. She handed Ed the rifle and turned to look out of the window. While her back was turned, Ed pulled a twenty-two bullet out his pocket and loaded the weapon. And while she was looking out the window, she was looking at a Chevy car at the gas station across the street. And soon as Bernice said, I do not like Chevys, Ed shot her in the back of the head with the Marlin rifle. He then ran to lock the store door and then went around the counter and slit Mary's throat. That's a hunter instinct, and that's what they do to deers, and I hate that I found that out. 
and loaded her and the cash register into her truck that was parked in the back of the store, took her out of town, left her in the truck there, walked back to town to get his truck, went back to retrieve Bernice, and took her home. When he got her to his house, he undressed Bernice, he made slits in her skin, in her Achilles tendon, he inserted sharp metal rods, then tied it to a rope and hoisted her up. So now she's upside down, okay? He then wrapped ropes around each of her wrists to a crossbeam and suspended her in midair. Once she was secured, he started removing her head from her shoulders. Oh, this is rough. This is rough. And then after he removed her head from her shoulders, he then moved upwards towards her vagina and her anus. He carved out the whole thing, both attached still to each other, and tossed them in a box with others. Later, the police asked Ed if he ever put the vaginas over his penis, and he said, I believe that's true. He emptied the body of all blood and viscera and wiped the cavity clean of all liquids left. Later, Ed said he didn't remember any of it and maintains that if his neighbors just got interested in his life a little bit, he never would have done any of those things. So now back at the store, it's 5 p.m. Frank Warden, Bernice's son, went up to the store and found it locked. So he used his spare key to get into the family hardware store. And he saw the blood and the receipt on the counter. And he knew Ed did something to his mom. So meanwhile, a couple of Ed's neighbors knocked on Ed's door. They were having car trouble and needed Ed's help. Ed appeared at the door with blood all over his hands but he told them that they had just caught him butchering a deer. He cleaned himself up and he got out to fix their car. So in return, they later offered him to stay for dinner to repay him. And he accepted. While Bernice was being discovered, Ed was having a pork chop dinner and watching I Love Lucy until Bob's brother-in-law burst into the house telling them that something big was going on at the Warden's Hardware Store. So everybody jumped up and ran into Ed's car. They all sat in Ed's car. So while the truck was, was warming up, the sheriffs pulled up because they saw the receipt and they was coming up to come ask Ed go to his house, but they saw his truck in front of the neighbor's house. So they pulled up on Ed and asked him, we need to talk to you. So Ed got out the car got out of his truck and got into the police officer's truck and was talking to them. So while they're questioning Ed, he said something that gave them cause. It wasn't adding up. Things just wasn't adding up to them. And when they was telling them that don't make no sense, Ed, wait, wait a minute, you just said this. What's going on? Ed just blurted out, I was framed. So they stopped and looked like, what the fuck? And we're going to have to take you downtown. We need to talk to you a little bit more. 
Okay, so November 16, 1957, Ed Gein was being arrested for the murder of Bernice Warden. At the same time, they was going through his house. This was actually before the time of Mirandizing and warrants. So there was another team at his house. And since he didn't have electricity, they had to use their flashlights. So after an officer bumped into Bernice's body, well, part of her body because it was in two, they found Mary Hogan's face and head in a sack behind his door, his bedroom door. They also found parts of Bernice's body scattered around the house and they saw her heart was on the stove. This is what made people think cannibalism, but there's no evidence to that. They found Bernice's head under his mattress and they found they found a lot of other stuff too. So here's the list. In the house, they found whole human bones and fragments, a wastebasket made of skin, human skin covering the chairs, skulls on his bedpost, female skulls, some with the top sawed off, bowls made of human skulls, a corset made from human torso skin from shoulder to waist because that was his bodysuit, leggings made from human skin, a mask made from skin, Mary Hogan's face mask in a plastic bag, Mary Hogan's skull in a box, Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Ed Gein's pot belly stove, nine uvulas, a young girl's dress, the uvula of two females judged to have been about 15 years old, a belt made of human female nipples, four noses, a pair of lips on the window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and fingernails from female fingers. All right, after finding all of the parts, the Plainfield Police Department put together that Ed murdered 11 people. But Ed told them he didn't kill all those people. He told them that he dug them up and challenged them to dig up one of the people that he actually did dig up. And he told them Mabel Everson. Dig up Mabel Everson. So they did. And what did they find in that grave? Just what Ed told them. Everything that they found, her wedding band, what part of her leg, piece of her clothing, everything that he threw back, plus his crowbar. They did not dig up Eleanor Adams' grave. So November 26 1st, 1957, Ed Gein was arraigned on one count of first-degree murder, where he pled not guilty for reason, reason of insanity. Gein was diagnosed with schizophrenic and found mentally incompetent. So what they did, they sent him to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, and now it's called the Dodge Correctional Institution. It's a maximum security facility. In 1968, doctors determined that Ed was, quote, mentally unable to confer with counsel and participate in his own defense. So on November 7th in 1968, his trial began. A psychiatrist testified that Ed had told him that he did not even know whether or not killing Bernice Warden was intentional or an accident. Ed said that he was just examining the gun in the hardware store and the gun just went off. 
He said he don't remember, pointed it at her. Ed testified that trying to load the bullet into the rifle, it discharged. He said he had not aimed it to Bernice's head and did not remember anything from the event. He just don't know. So the trial, it lasted just a week. Well, that trial lasted just a week. His trial was held without jury at the request of defense. Judge Robert H. Gomar was presiding. Ed was found guilty, but a second trial had to be done to deal with his sanity. So after the testimonies of doctors from the prosecutors and the defense, Ed was found not guilty for reason of insanity and ordered ordered now to the Central State Hospital for criminally insane. He spent the rest of his life in that mental hospital. Judge Gilmar said, due to the cost, Ed was tried for only one murder, that of Bernice Warden. He also admitted killing Mary Hogan, and I think that is so shitty. Ed's house and property was appraised at $4,700, equivalent to $44,000. Okay, the residents of Plainsville was afraid that it would become a macabre tourist attraction. So before the house went up for auction, the house suspiciously caught on fire. Arson was suspected, but the cause was never officially determined. It probably wasn't a matter of urgency because the fire marshal, Frank Warden, yeah, Bernice's son, Ed's last victim, he didn't think it was it was a big issue. So when Ed found out about it, all he did was shrug and said, just as well. His truck, his 1949 Ford sedan, which he used to haul the bodies, was sold at auction for $760, equivalent to $7,100 in 2021. So in July 26, 1984, at age 77 years old, Ed died to, due to respiratory failure secondary to lung cancer. He's buried in Plainsville Cemetery in Wisconsin. He's placed between his, his brother, Henry, and his mother, Augusta. People believe that he was buried at midnight, but Betty Pektuski said that isn't true because she buried him and it was 4 p.m. Over the years, souvenir seekers chipped away of his headstone. Year 2000, somebody actually stole it, but it was recovered in June 2001 near Seattle, Washington. It has since been placed in storage in the county sheriff's police department. Now it's unmarked. His grave is now unmarked. Eleanor Adams, yeah, remember her? The first one that he dug up? Her grave is still empty, and you can, it's a roll away from Ed himself. Mary Hogan is buried in that cemetery, which I think is really horrible. And Bernice Warden is also buried in that cemetery. So Mary Hogan, her, her gravesite is unmarked. Bernice, her gravesite is not unmarked, but like I said, they're all buried in the same cemetery. This must be the nicest cemetery in that state or town, or it must be the nicest or something. Mabel Everson, her gravesite can be seen from Ed's gravesite. Seriously. His story has had a lasting effect in American culture with movies, books, 
a suspense novel by Robert Bach, Psycho, the movie Psycho with Alfred Hitchcock in 1960, Deranged in 1974, The Butcher of Plainsville in, in 2007. He's also inspired fictional characters such as Norman Bates, Leatherface, Buffalo Bill, The Silence of the Lamb, Garland Green and Conair, Dr. Olive Treadson in the American Horror Story, The Asylum, just to name a few. Although it's not 100% of the story because it, it is a lot more dealing with this story. Oh my goodness. And they say he was a serial killer. So what the um, FBI standards of a serial killer, I don't think it actually fit the bill. I mean, he is one of the most craziest of the killers, I think. But a serial killer is four or more kills with a resting period between the between them. And he only killed only two people. Technically, he was just crazy. That's That was that Augusta for you. I mean, man, that mama, the power that us women have as mothers, the power that us women have is extraordinary. Was he criminally insane? Was he really crazy? He was skinning these people, but he I think he planned Bernice's murder. Do you think he was a serial killer? And do you think he was crazy? And I know that I'm going to try to put up two. I don't know. But I am going to put up, post up the pictures, Instagram. I'm going to post up pictures on Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story, subscribe to the podcast and hit that bell icon so you will never miss an episode. Share with your family. Share with your friends. Hell, share with your enemies. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at friedoe at myyahoo.com. You can also check out the pictures that I'm going to put up about this story on Instagram or and Twitter at Friday Podcast. Everything is in my show notes. I hope you enjoyed listening. I hope you keep listening. Do good things, stay safe, stay vigilant, and trust no one. In the next episode of Fried Dough, I will dive into the disturbing case of Samuel Little, a convicted serial killer who has confessed to over 90 murderers across the United States. I will explore, explore the details of Little's crimes, examine the evidence, and analyzing the motives behind his heinous acts. I'll also take a closer look at the investigation and prosecution of Little, as well as the impact of his confessions on the family of his victims. Join me for the gripping episode as I explore one of the most shocking and prolific cases in modern true crime history.